Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Good guest today. Uh, we're in Sydney and a lot of my podcasts are sort of interviews with people who are in the middle of their lives and are kind of looking back on how they got there and trying to delve into some wisdom and provide it to you, the listeners. Uh, my guest today is somebody who is right at the epicenter of that. She has written a book called Midlife Manifesto. Her name is Jane Matthews. She is a Brit living in Sydney, and she wrote this book. When did you write it? A couple of years ago? About a year and a half ago, yeah. A year and a half ago. And it's all, it's uh, slightly sexist because it's for women only. It's got a pink cover, but um, uh, so there's not really much information for men in here. I don't think I'm joking. Of course, it's good for men. Actually, but she, she, quite a few fan letters from men. I'm joking. I, I, did, I did hear, I did hear. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, uh, Jane Matthews. I, did, I was joking, of course, Jane, but I did uh, hear you saying it's for women only. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should turn off and start, stop reading it. So at least I can say that's why I haven't read it. Um, it looks like a great book. I, we only met two nights ago. I, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's called, it's subtitled, A Toolkit to Plan the Rest of Your Life, mm -hmm. which sounds interesting. You have gone into detail whenever you're asked a question about this book, about why you ended up writing it, but why not do that again here? It's very simple, actually. Um, I wrote it because I was looking for a book like this, uh, which was something that would sort of give me a path of how to get through midlife, but done in a sort of witty a witty way. And I went looking in the self-help section of the bookshops and they're just full of either American bullshit books yeah. or just so badly written. Yeah. And I wrote the book that I wanted to read, basically. It's meant to be like you've got a friend sitting on the end of the bed talking to you about it. And right. I am so far from perfect. It's not saying you should do this, you should do that. It's here are some things that I've learned and some of them will be helpful and some of them won't. And that's fine. Right. But I've had the, the nicest thing of all is that I've had the most amazing letters from emails and letters from from women who it seems to have resonated with and that is for an author it doesn't matter whether you get no, a hundred letters yeah. it's just fantastic to yeah, have that feedback yeah, so yeah. that's been really nice that bits of it seem to have hit a nerve so the book is broken down into sort of 10 chapters all leading up to what looks like you have to write your own midlife manifesto tell me what a midlife manifesto is it's a plan basically to consider the rest of your life it doesn't have to be written down. It can just be a thing that you vaguely have in your head. You reach a time which is the middle of your life, and it could be any time, really, between 40 and 60, and it just comes about through force of circumstances. So it's little things like you can't do a seatbelt up quite as well as you could have once, or, you know, on an aeroplane, you have to let the thing out a little bit more. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, your friends getting sick, or your children yeah. leaving home, or you know, your looks are fading, your body's mm. not doing what it used to do. It goes on a sort of a scale of little tiny things like, you know, hairs growing where they've had no business growing <laughs> to, you know, your parents dying. And, yeah. and when all of those things seem to come together at one time for yeah. us, and that's me to me is sort of midlife. And we're all told, really, I think we're all sold the lie that the first half of our lives is going to be the best half and the second half 
you're already sort of on the downward yeah. hill. I agree with that, actually. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> people, people said to me, oh, no, I'm 47 now, but people said to me, oh, you know, life begins at 40. I go, death begins at 40, really, because you're actually at the top of the hill looking down the other side. Well, so, I mean, I'm just more acerbic when it comes to this. And self-help books in general, I have to say. Well, so, so we're going to have I. some fun here. Like no, I like the fact that you've books. written a kind of a vaguely comedic self No, it's meant to be. So. Every page, there should be something. That the eye rollers amongst you should probably check it out, you know, because... Uh, it's written in a kind of uh, funny, uh, f- a funny way. It is meant to be a bit sort of self-deprecating and not super serious. There's there's comedy and well, there's humour yes. in the darkest of course, places, of course. really. Yeah. But I just think we've all been told that the first half of lives isn't is is the best bit. The second half isn't. But I think the second half, unless you think about it a bit, and yeah. I don't mean you have to write a plan. Some people that is useful. Some people it's yeah. not. All I'm saying is just think about it a bit and sort of have a vague idea of where you want to go Mm. and try and sort of course correct as you go along so that you're more likely to end up somewhere that you want to be rather than have one year pleating into another and suddenly in 5, 10, 20 years' time you go, you know, what on earth am I doing sitting in this horrible, dark little flat with no friends or whatever it is when you think actually all I ever wanted to do was live on top of a hill in Italy surrounded by sheep with handsome young men bringing me finally slice prosciutto I'm in midlife now and I'm past midlife I reckon because I'm I'm a smoker and I drink and I I cane it pretty hard and have done all my life but you know if I die there's no big skin off anyone's nose I'm not looking for sympathy there I don't have any children or wives or ex-wives or anything so I made a decision when I was younger to to do three things when I was 17 and I, I talked about this before I think on a pod but it's just like I look back on it now. I go, how the hell did I come up with that idea? And it served me really well. And it was unfortunately, well, one was don't do drugs, which I didn't do illegal drugs. Don't have children. Don't get married, right? Because I just didn't like children, and I didn't really. Everywhere, everywhere I looked, people were just unhappily married. And like I'm now at 47, I go, that's pretty much served me quite well because now at this level in my life, I can kind of go, you know, I can, I've got I've got money. I don't have as, as much uh, expenses as a lot of my friends who've got got kids with but one of the things that happened was as i was growing up and you mentioned this in one of your speeches this idea that that the, the, the sort of conditioning that we've had from childhood this whole idea that we were always taught to go through life a certain way you had a funny line oh, in your, what about my daughter to yeah it was a school opening day and she she must have been they were young they're like six or seven and you had to write a book of story of your life and it wasn't my daughter but one of her friends wrote um, I'm going to school, then I go to university. It was a posh school. They were all expected to go to university. Then I get married and have, or get get a job, get married, and then I die. Have children and then die, yeah. Yeah, I have children and then die. I know. <laughs> so that's just, that was it. So, I mean, there's a big bit between, gap between having children yeah. and dying. And so 100 years ago, women would live to 58. Now yeah. in Australia, it's 84. Yeah. You know, it's, we're all living longer. We're all living better in theory better quality of life longer yeah and if you think you've got i mean i'm 55 i've got 30 summers to go you know that's not that long if you think about 30 summers to go i just think if you don't actually think about it a bit and not in a sort of dark metaphysical way but just as i say course correct a bit here and there Mm. i think you've just got a better chance of enjoying those 30 summers than if you don't think about it at all when i was growing up there was this kind of complete disregard for the end game particularly amongst women where and, I, and I, you know I'm not going to say it was, oh, we, we'll marry some 
rich man, but there was a certain amount of that. But this idea, and, and some of my other friends who just don't save money, right? Particularly, we both hail from the ad business, which is a young person's game. And, and we all spent a lot of money. Uh, we, well, I didn't. I mean, I, I, the one thing my, fa- my father and I didn't really see eye to eye on anything to do with my career, what I wanted to do in my life. But he did instill this kind of this need to have a rainy day fund right. which I'm actually now digging into but if I didn't have it now my life would be extremely depressing now because yeah. I would have to be staying working for the man and I don't like working in the ad business but how, to what to in your experience how much of that is still around where people just sort of assume that they'll be okay financially yeah oh, I think it, among women I think it's shocking I know I mean it's really really shocking and women more than men and I talk to a lot of women there were some things that really surprised me when I genuinely surprised me when I wrote yeah. this. One was how many people are unhappily married or unhappily with people just because they don't feel in a position strong enough to get out. In fact, that point is sort of related to the next point, which is that they're ostriches. So many women are financially just like ostriches with their yeah. heads buried in the sand. No idea how much money they have, no idea how much money their husbands have. Mm. And it's not, yeah, I mean, we know that half of marriages end in divorce, but regardless of that, you know, you should know how much you have. You should know how much super you have. In Australia, most women have $112,000 super when they retire. Men have about $200,000 when they retire. It's not enough. It's not even close. No. Million dollars isn't enough mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. If you want any quality of life at all, I'm really, really shocked. I think the banks have got a huge job to do. Yeah. All of the big four pussyfoot around it. And I've spoken to all of them and they'll go, be great. We teach women, you know, financial independence and all of that. Yeah, well, you know, they could have been saying that in 1960. I was a bit like that mm. when I was married. And then when I got divorced, I've taught myself. Did you have an acrimonious divorce? Didn't start financially. Out, I mean, it didn't start out being that way, but it ended yeah, up being that do. way. They all do. Actually, <laughs> so hence I didn't want to get married. Yeah, no. It, I mean, it, it's fine, but you know, I do. In fact, I'm just doing my tax return now. You know, and mm. I know to the. You can see I'm a bit old-fashioned. I actually have a, a Collins physical, notepad. Right? I actually have a physical, oh a ledger. You've got a ledger. I like a ledger where I write everything down. So. But I know to the penny how much money I have in mm. super and how long I got need to go on working mm. and what I spend my money on and what I don't. Yeah. And, you know, I own my house. Looking back, when I was earning masses of money in advertising, mm. I spent much more than I should have. But I saved a bit as well. Yeah. So the book has got like the following chapters. It's rewriting your midlife story. And stop me if you want to just plow in here and, 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 and cover any of these points. Your vision. What's your visceral vision? What's a visceral vision? without thinking about it at all right but you want to be in a few years time there's a section on relationships how you bring it being a happy midlife divorcee cementing your bond with your children and your relationship with yourself your body there's a lot of stuff in here about what sort of food you eat and how you can reduce and lose weight and uh, there's a little bit in here about having more sex which is good your spiritual self so you talk here about your uh, spiritual necklace tell me about that for more and more people now, and this came through very clearly in the women that I talk to, organised religion is less and less of a valid alternative, or a valid option for people. But people feel a real surge of spirituality and curiosity yeah. for whatever you call it, whether you call it spirituality or you just think about things a bit more above and beyond who we all are, and yeah. it's just or quiet time, meditation, whatever it is. Mm. I think there's a real thirst to fill that part of our lives. And to me, organised religion doesn't answer it. Um, For some people it does, which is great. So 
I think a lot of people choose a bead from here and a bead from there. So you might get a yeah. meditation bead from Hinduism or a, you know, Friday night with your family bead from yeah. the Jewish yeah. people. Or you might get a... Drop the stoning. We don't really want the stoning. We don't, we don't yeah. want the stoning, okay. and, but, and you know, the, uh, a little pilgrimage. Catholic, we can use condoms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I think people can... <laughs> pick and choose not between the religions but between the elements that the aspects that suit them in their life i kind of i mean i'm sort of a practicing atheist which is a thing apparently but we all have this innate thing and all religion is spawned out of it so i'm hoping that in about 10 no probably about 100 years that there's just no no real organizer it's just everyone is sort of well the, got this, this is a, this it thing. is a thing yeah. uh, SBNR they call it spiritual but not religious mm. and a lot of people say they are SBNR you know they're spiritual not religious it seems to make lots and lots of sense yeah. to me and I think I'm also very cynical about sort of Byron Bay Buddhists and you know yeah. having a dolphin in the bath and the problem I have with all religion including those ones is the hypocrisy that exists within all religion. Is the worst thing you can probably be called is a hypocrite. And and it's in Catholicism, it's in Islam, it's in Judaism. Just this, behave this way, so the book says, or Jesus says. And meanwhile, around the corner, the, these people one. who are representing these religions are actually a completely different way. And, it's all, and they put so it all bullshit. down to interpretation, yeah, which or, is nonsense. Um, just a simple thing to do is... Get hold of a children's book on world religions. Brilliant idea. Because it's it has to be written with yeah. enormous clarity. Yeah. And there's like the Osborne book of children's world religion. It's fantastic. It's it's not a very yeah. big book, but it's so interesting. Yeah. You just go, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. And it's so simply explained. And Suffer little children. Yeah. As but, they said. You know, how... Thing. Be nice to other people and try and be good. Um Number six is your interest in work. So you, you talk here about hobbies and, you, you know, six great investments of your time. What was that about? Being interested in things means you're interesting. And I think, again, at this age, I think we have a huge curiosity about learning all sorts of new things about new things. And I think it pays you, pays once. I probably talk about podcasts. There Six great investments of your time, current affairs, technology, charity, travel, improve your vocabulary and reading. Yeah. Okay, so these are, what, what this sounds like is just this whole idea of knowing, you know, a little about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, getting and interested in. I just think in. it's, I find it shocking mm. when people do not have a point of view on current affairs. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I This is the world we live in. I just find it when people are not engaged in that, especially in Australia, you know, we yeah. you can have a cat stuck up a tree. It's on the front page of the paper. You know, yeah. you go to page eight and it'll say North Korea's got nuclear weapons and they're chucking them in the sea. You know, you just yeah. go, shit, yeah. it's on page 10. Well, I mean, I, I just, I spent the early part of the year in America and it was like, I watched Michael Moore's new film when it came out. It was really good, you know, full of humanity. And it was, but it was really funny. And it got a round of applause. But when I was leaving, it was all, Back in 55, 60, I was one of the youngest people there. Yeah. The issue I had then, you know, was why aren't the kids being forced to go and yeah, see these yeah. movies? Or, you know, because, you know, oh, well, the kids want to go and see Daredevil or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but like this vacuosity that exists. I know, I think it's and, really frightening, especially in America. Yeah, actually. Me, meanwhile, the world is burning. I mean, yeah. we're fiddling. Well, and, um, I mean, charity, obviously, giving back. And I, I mean, I don't mean being sort of all self-righteous about it, but finding something that resonates with you. Um, I think is is something that's very worthwhile and traveling absolutely mm. and um, yeah reading or, pod, or podcasting or I mean mm. listen, I listen to more audiobooks than I read actually 
Then you have chapter seven is about your home. So making this, this is a, a, a big thing you've talked about in one of your speeches about making the space you love. I'm particularly sensitive to it, but I really, really believe that your surroundings have a huge impact yeah. on you. I mean, yeah. a really huge impact on you. And anything from little things like buying yourself new pillows and a new mm. doona or new sheets or something mm. that are crunchy. So I've just got some and, you know, my bed is like this beautiful white linen crunchy island that yeah. I fall into <laughs> at night. And But just for not a lot of money, you actually, yeah. I think it's very important. And I think the things that you touch every single day should be things that you like to touch or yeah. that you want to look at. Yeah. You know, and it is a time, I mean, look at my house, full of stuff. And partly because, you know, my parents both died, so I've got, like, their house right. is in here as well. You're going through all this stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I, what do you do with all of that? You know, but I, you know, the, the things that I have around me, I do like. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a lovely time of your life because it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, sure. actually, you know? You have personal style, so that's basically things like wardrobe, hair and skin, all that kind of stuff. Financial. Which I think is actually find out what you like and just stick to it. Right. Just Then financial independence, so a 10-step financial blueprint on how much is enough for retirement. I always think about that as well. I mean, I have a little bit jokily morose about uh, how long we have left, as you said earlier. But, you know, do I have enough to last me for the next 10 years? Yeah, do I have enough to last me for the 10 years after that? Probably. Do I have enough to last me the 10 years after that? Probably not. Yeah, Am I going to last that long? Probably not. What if I do? I don't know. Maybe assisted suicide in Zurich? I don't know. I'm joking. But Well, I'm probably on the same trajectory. Yeah. yeah. And um, the last piece is your midlife manifesto. So you gather all of the little, little tidbits and, and um, wisdom and uh, then plan your own way of moving forward is that the yeah, idea and there is there are there's a plan there to help you if if that's what rocks your boat you know if you actually want to write it down you can the idea of the plan is that it can be very overwhelming so you just if you break it down you know you can notch a bit off here mm. and there and, and mm. sort of head towards it and even if you just do one thing a day yeah that pushes you in that direction you know i mean it, life is just one choice you make after another that's all it is. So I did a I did a documentary in in America on on the collapsing middle class there. It was called One in Three, and basically one of the questions I wanted to ask you about this book: One in three women in America are you know one step away from being out of a home, or you know are struggling to make ends meet, don't have money to buy freshly um, twilled linens and pillows and all that kind of stuff. What do you say to the people who are really struggling in life, women who are in their midlife? Quite a lot of the things that we're talking about are so much down a wish list. The, the area that they're looking at right now is more about putting food on plates and stuff. Is there anything you have for them? I, I think actually everything that I've done is completely relevant okay. to them. Okay. And it isn't about you know going to Bali and buying white linen yeah. sheets. It's yeah. about little things in your life. I completely understand what you're saying. But it's interesting, though. I mean, like, I was... So it's a, not elitist, this book, is what you're saying. Not at all. Right, good. Okay. Absolutely not. It certainly tonally doesn't feel elitist. No, it's, it's very meant to be... conversation. As you said, a friend at the end of the bed. And sort yeah. of self-deprecating. And it's, I mean, I'm really done I, the, the women that I was interviewing were, you know, doing really stupid things. Like, they would go, oh, well, I have to go to Starbucks every day, and I bring my computer, and I look for work there, and I know it's a $5 coffee. And, and they have kids at home, and they're they're bankrupt basically yeah i mean five dollars buys you a pizza a family I, I know, pizza in America. I know, so I know. as i said you make choices yeah. which isn't to say that 
one Starbucks a week, if it really lifts your spirit, sure, sure, go for it. Yeah. You know, which is why in the recession, you know, lipsticks have sold really well. Yes. With the GFC, small, small treats. Th- treats. You know, lipsticks went. Lipsticks. They were talking about things like the, scale. the school, the sneaker situation. You know, because you, you, you can buy cheap sneakers, but if your kid is wearing them in right. school, he's just you know all this stuff I never even thought about. But it's just I mean, really hard. I when Oprah was here. She did one of her tours, you know, which is all about her line is, you know, you're being your best self. And now that's even rather than having self-help books, it actually is like be your best self. It's like what the section's called or mm. self-development. And I feel embarrassed even being in that section in the bookshop. I feel yeah. embarrassed even browsing it on Amazon because yeah. I feel very self-conscious about it. You yeah. feel slightly, slightly a failure and a bit needy. Yes, I agree. <laughs> being there, it's like, you know, oh, I don't really yeah. need that. I went to on one of Oprah's shows here and um, I thought it was very interesting because it's it sold out or almost but the seats that sold the quickest were the cheapest seats and the very and the most expensive. Yes. So I just think that's quite interesting because yeah. I think there is a lot of There's people There's no middle class. That, well it's a lot of people who really want a touch of her fairy dust on their lives. Yeah. For $75 with the cheapest seats or $100 yeah. with the cheapest seats and then I don't even know, five grand for the most expensive ones where you get a photo with her or something. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who don't have a lot of money are aware that they can turn their lives around, Mm -hmm. but it's much harder. Mm -hmm. But it is possible to do. And I think Oprah, whether you love her or hate her, and I love her and hate her. Yeah, I'm bad like that. She came from nothing. And, you know, she's done extremely well. So it's a very powerful story. There's also a, a little bit of condescension in there that I find a little yeah. un- unsettles me yeah. a bit. But um, no, she's kind of like a nice Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she yeah. She did come from. Like, where did you come from? I came from a bucolic, swan-filled, really River Thames, Wordsworthian, Wordsworthian between yeah. Oxford and London, Ivy um, Cottage, sort of roses, actually, Father not. Vicar. No, he worked in marketing. But no, it was, you know, covered in roses. Yeah, Georgian house, all that. But, you know, but life never turns out how you think it will. My sister died when she was 32. And, you know, both my parents died and got divorced. And things. Was it just you and your sister? Yeah. So I don't have any immediate family left. I mean, it's not poor Jane at all. Jane's fine. And I've got two great kids. Life is no what it seems. You know, everyone has their own things that they go through and when I when my mother died um, it was exactly the same time that my husband had left me and you know I had to get a job at 53 you know I hadn't worked for eight years and stuff was arriving from England and um, people were after my mother's some distant relations kind of went after the estate and you know and it was everything always happens at once Mm. so I've been incredibly lucky in many ways in my life but life, it doesn't, it isn't always perfect. And I, it's something else when I was talking to all these women, you know, they're women who you think have got everything. It, it doesn't, it's not a straight line like that. Mm. It just isn't. And it's not to say that they don't have an easier time than people who haven't got any money. Bloody oath, absolutely, they yeah. have a much easier time. I work with this charity, Oz Harvest, which is Food Rescue. So it's a great idea. So we pick up food that would otherwise be thrown away great. and take it to yeah. people who need it and eat it and want it. Brilliant. You know, you come across... Um, you know, you just think that for the grace of God. I mean, the mm. good thing about working 
with Oz Harvest is you realise how close we all are to... It's a very thin line between yeah. living here, yeah. as I am, yeah. and, you know, you fall under the line, mm. and it can be one or two things. It can be losing your job, can't pay the mortgage, yeah. and suddenly things just don't go right mm. for people. I mean, part of it is our, you know, what we, our core business, if you like, which is advertising. I mean, I look back a little bit guiltily on some of this stuff because we, you know, we're the, we're the propagators of credit cards, we're the propagators of greed, desire, all those things, pushing things on people that they don't really need. Uh, and yet we seem to be able to go home and sleep like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I loved advertising. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And jo- I mean, I, you know, I'm still knocking about the periphery of it, but I never felt that I did sort of act that way. I mean, maybe I did, but... No, I think we we have to take... Not personal, maybe, but we have to take collective responsibility for the fact that we're the pimps of consumerism. But our business is built around telling falsehood, massaging the truth, putting people's expectations on beauty, body image, all that. Yes, that's us. There's no one else. Maybe the public relations business and us. But, you know, we're, we're, we're brother and sister. I guess the guy who and girl who go and work in the cigarette factory every day come home and probably don't smoke and go, well, we make cigarettes to kill people, whatever. You know, I still need to put bread on the table. But yeah. it's, again, going back to hypocrisy, it's slightly hypocritical because I spent twenty um, over 25 years in the business and uh, did my fair share of um, what I'm now complaining about. And it's very right on of me to be doing this. Uh, I don't know. I have to say, I, I see your point, but I... <laughs> I sleep just fine yeah no I don't I sleep when pretty I was well cornflakes, I, I sleep yeah. as well I sleep okay. this book came out of you being in the position that you are writing the book for people right so you did you manage to go through this sort of yourself and come up with your own manifesto and if so what are some of the points that you came to um, I think I've got in there actually I've got the things that I learned actually the things that things that I learned from writing the book, actually, one of the things that it was interesting writing, I mean, I actually don't believe in the phrase midlife crisis. I think right. it's yeah. been bleached a meaning by overuse. It's yeah. just kind of, it's just such an easy hook to mm. hang things on. But, but I, what if I'm suddenly driving a portion of just pierced my fat belly button and I've got an 18-year-old model and I'm uh, spiking my hair and I'm 53? Classic male menopause. I mean, classic <laughs> male. Women don't joking aside for men it's when they turn 40 when they turn 45 when they turn 50 and it's to do with um, an age literally changing an age break a demographic age break yeah. is when it happens to men they think about their physical appearance and sexuality mm-hmm. and how and they think about how attractive they are mm-hmm. and they think about their goals and whether they've reached their goals at that time in their life and, and women never do that no we don't do it we don't do it as <laughs> It doesn't go bang, bang, bang like yeah. that. It's, it's much more subtle. A 55-year-old woman, hmm. a, you know, a pigeonholed 55-year-old yeah. who's got a few bob and a 55-year-old man who's got a few bob, that woman is going to be spending 3,000% more on her body than that man is. Uh, Clothes, makeup, depilations, uh, not necessarily. Botox. I don't think necessarily. For men, I think it's... It, I mean, maybe you're right, but I think it's it creeps up on you. Most 53-year-old no, men I have let it, themselves go years ago. They're big, fat, beer belly guys. Well, and a lot of women do too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not... I think it depends on the person. I suppose it depends on how much money you have at the end um, of the day. I, I was just looking to hear the things that I learned from writing the book 
it's never too late to change what you do, act the way you want to feel. The importance of self-reliance and taking responsibility because you can't drag along your... Advertising past. Bitterness. <laughs> bitterness about things that have happened to you in the past because yeah, shit happens. Yeah, yeah. And if you carry it around with you, yeah. it makes you a miserable person. And a, a friend of mine refers to his ex-wife as the witch. And he said that if he was in a car and she was on the side of the road, he would run her over. Yeah. Would, and he'd go to jail for it and he wouldn't mind. That's nice. But, you know... Talk about making him unattractive. The thing to say, the, the thing to say to him is, yeah, well, mate, you married her and you told her you loved her once. The, the whole idea of love is, I don't know whether that's in there or not, but the, this whole idea I find with women, they, they, and this is, again, I'm sure men are just as bad at it, but I, it really gets up my gut. Women are very quick to say, I love you. And, uh, you know, Irish people were very kind of, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, you're good, you're cool, you're pretty cool too. Yeah, you know, it's like we kind of have this difficulty, particularly Irish men, in saying it. But like when, when you know, people get divorced and they go, I never loved him. And I go, you told him you did. And to me, like he says, you love someone, it's like you should love them forever. Less. Than- it should be like just, yeah, it's sort of throwaway. And, uh, oh, now I don't love you. I fell out of love with you. I used to love you, but I'm not in love with you. Yeah. And there's a whole little vernacular yeah, that goes yeah, on yeah. around it. And, and uh, it just, to me, removes the, the potency. I mean, it. I think that the thing about relationships is, you know, like Woody Allen says, you know, if you don't like a shark, if they don't move forward, they die. Yeah. And if you don't work at a relationship, it will, no question about yeah. it. And in midlife, you have to work a bit harder. And yeah. You know, the thought of date night just completely does my head in because it's so contrived. But the thought of actually consciously making sure that you do spend time together. Mm. And my husband and I were just like parallel train tracks and Mm. neither of us, we could see it happening. Mm. Neither of us made an effort to creep in towards the middle. And I think if you don't work work at it, then... I'm just about it's, able to do date night because I've I treated it as so as as kind of ironic, you know. I yeah. I, I, I kind of go, this is so corny. I'll go along with it. I mean, it, know, but it's yeah, good to yeah. spend time alone <clears throat> yeah, no, together know, and do and do a thing. And as I said, the other thing in there, you know, is sex. Absolutely, you know, mm. have more sex, have as much sex as you possibly mm. can. Do it in every room in the house. Do it on the table, Which older do it women are better at yeah. usually than and, than and more yeah. more confidence and yes, know what you yeah, want and yeah. everything although it's harder in a new relationship because you just yeah. oh my god you know nothing is where it used to be mm, yeah and yeah. that you feel more self-conscious but if you're in a, a longer term relationship absolutely you're better you, that's your best sex you've ever had yeah. is in midlife but i think part of that as well is because a lot of uh, certainly i don't know what the numbers on this but it, anecdotally a lot of the women that i know who have been married uh, and are divorced uh, again I'm going to use a, a word that will probably have raining down arrows on me but there's a, there's a certain part of this whole thing to do with needing to have a child right so being actually programmed the female body to have a child and the sort of urgency that surrounds that and the need to find a man who will give me a child and who will provide for my children and all this kind of stuff and in order to get that man, then certain things have to be done, certain things have to be said, and certain things, that, you know, so I'm, I'm giving a slightly jaundiced view on love and marriage and relationships, but I see it a lot. I see women coming out at 40 with three kids or four kids going, I never loved the guy, you know, and it's kind of sad. I mean, it's sad for both parties all and the kids, but it, I think it happens a lot. And I, I find that I have had a few loves in my life and I'm still in love with them all and I'm still friends with them all you know I'm not banging them but you know if they're in 
trouble they can call me and I'll do my best to help them yeah. you know two of them are married and that to me is much more meaningful for mo- for me personally uh, than this you know like your friend saying he's going to run over his ex-wife or this kind of huge viciousness that sort of goes I know, on and it, and it's, and it's, it's, it's like to do with the, money I think like it that. is to do with money yeah. and it's sort of it's it is like a dark shadow that he carries around with him it's, yeah. you know and it's really it's not good to be with because he you know it doesn't make him attractive I don't mean you know to other women go, yeah because they'll feel it they'll feel it yeah, absolutely yeah, you they do. can smell it's that just, you, you do and I mean I think you you know you teach people how to treat you mm, I agree and this is a part of one's life that can be depressing because of all the things you mentioned earlier yeah and, you've and you're kind of bringing a cheery and... kind of hey it's not the end of the world but there, the end of the world is coming so oh, what no, happens I don't, then I don't get me wrong I mean in the book there are yeah, I recognise that completely. Mm. You know, mm. there are days when you just want to curl up and cry because yeah. you've missed opportunity. Life hasn't gone your way. Things are not where you where you wish they were. Is there is there a book in in how to deal with the you know the end of life manifesto? Is there a way to look at at that? Or I mean, because I, I, I you know I'm with you on this whole self help thing and. And yet there is this whole part of life that we kind of brush under the carpet, which is in homes and people just, you know, it's yeah. just hard to deal with that. No, and, very hard to deal with that. And I you've know. had to deal with it. Well, with like, yeah, with, yeah I have. But um, no, I haven't put my mind to that yet. But the whole assisted dying thing, which mm. I know, you know, there's been a lot of publicity about that recently, you know, in a book in mm. Australia um, with what's his name, you know, Richard, what's his name? Um, has written a book about uh, about exactly this subject mm. and assisted dying, and I'm very pro that. Yeah. And he wrote because his father, they wouldn't help him die, and mm. he had a miserable, painful, yeah. awful death. And yeah. there's um, a woman. I talked to my old man about that. Actually, he's eighty, and he said, "No, let don't don't uh, unplug anything. Keep me." No matter it's how a bad very it gets, personal, yeah. Private so I was surprised at that, but I mean, I would be the, uh, you know, I'd be the opposite. Yeah. But it's a very. I think private. in about twenty years' time, that'll be fine. Everyone will be able to do it. It's just it's it's one of those throwback laws that just is is you know it's 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 actually God driven. It's a God driven. It's a morality driven. It is no, it's and completely. So, um, you know, you, my mother had dementia when she died, which in a way is a incredibly cruel to the people who are watching it. Mm. And witnessing it, but actually very, very sort of calm and peaceful in a way to the person who has it, because she had absolutely no idea what she was saying yeah. or doing or who I was or, you know, but it was also a little bit frightening sometimes, I think, when she, every so often she'd know that she was losing her grip on reality and on life and things. I talk about death in there because it's brushed me, brushes all of us. Mm. And um, Do you have anything in here about uh, writing a will? I do. It's in the financial chapter. Because that, to me, is something that I have started um, doing. And the amount of stuff, and I've got a fairly simple life, but the amount of stuff that someone, if I suddenly die, would have to try and find out no, about. No, I'm, again, you know, I was ostrich woman before that. And I'm mm. I, in there, I mean, I call it a 10-point plan. It's only because there are 10 things, like mm. one is get all your paperwork in order, all mm. your documents in order, which includes... Someone should know all your passwords, all yeah. your financial stuff yeah. in one place. Absolutely having a will. Yeah. We're, we've crept stealthily into a an online 
existence. Yeah. And so, you know, your point about the passwords, but also, you know, we don't necessarily have bank statements anymore. We don't necessarily no, have no, someone, a little book you, somewhere with a ledger and, you know, yeah. you do. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's I, I was just astonished. And also yeah. then there's this bit of the clarity and how, and how, you know, you just said that your mother's estate was 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 thrown into question or people tried to. To hijack it, there's you've got to be very careful how you word something, yeah. you know. No, you have to make it, I mean, you really have to think about the people who have to walk into it all, make it as easy, easy as, as possible, possible yeah. for the next person coming to do it. I mean, you were asking about what I'm doing. I mean, I've been asked to do workshops around this because it would yeah. lend itself really well to a workshop, mm. but also a way, you know, it is meant to be sort of fun and you yeah. know, make people walk out of there feeling good. But the next book I'm writing is called How to Live Alone. Okay. Um, because a uh, quarter of Australians, the third of I Americans, live alone. Mm. And it's um, it's the fastest growing segment yeah. of the population by far. The numbers are scary. The numbers yeah. are huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really huge. And What about the psychiatry, psychology thing? In, in most of the developed world, that's the gun everyone reaches for when they're in trouble. And I know it's important for a lot of people, but it seems to me like just living in America, everyone has their own sort of shrink. Yeah, I mean, you'd be much more sensitive to that than I am because I, mm. I live here and people don't. Right. I mean, they do. When so it's they, still just, it's, it hasn't spread. No, to me, right? they do when they have an issue that yes, needs to be yeah. resolved. And I talk about it in there, like depression and things. And uh, most people I know have been brushed by depression to some degree, yes, whether yeah. it's a brush, it's, on, brush on their arm or whether it's kind of it's part of life to be fully, depressed sometimes. It is a bit, yeah. actually. And, mm. I, and I think you have to... J.K. Rowling actually said that rock bottom was the foundation of her success because yeah, yeah. she actually didn't couldn't go any lower and she yeah. just built on that. There is a different... There's a time when you need to go and seek professional help. Yes. But there's also trying to help yourself and I don't mean in a Pollyanna-ish way yeah. but actually and you know it, it's a bit like the book I'm writing at the moment about how to live alone if you look on the internet you know what to do when you're lonely it says buy a dog you know go for a walk ring a friend you know yeah. but you're actually on the internet <laughs> it's incredibly patronizing Use me. <laughs> it's incredibly patronizing I advice know. you know well, I, I i worked some i did some work on depression and the last thing you can do is say just pull yourself together you know, a cup of tea. i know and that, i used to be a pull yourself together yeah, person and now i'm no, so not and no, i'm no, so sympathetic with yeah. people who are going through those difficulties because it's not it, it doesn't matter it's horrible but then by the same token and I, and I know that drugs have their place. I think there's a lot of other options mm. that could and should be pursued before. Drugs is not the only answer. Yeah. It can be the answer, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's not the only answer. Yeah. And I've seen people on antidepressants and, you know, it's not always a great outcome. Mm. It takes a long time to get off them and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but, I, but I'm also not of the... You know, buy yourself a dog, ring a friend. You know, yeah, I know. The, you know, I've, I've got my, I've got a dog. You know, he's got four legs, not two. You know, I don't yeah. sleep with him. I don't yeah. talk to him. Yeah. It's a dog. Yeah. You know, and it's um, and it's like when you ring a friend. I remember just after I got divorced, I rang a friend, and 
because I was feeling a bit miserable and she was like I can't talk right now because I've got having a dinner party I've got these friends coming over and I just you know and I put down the phone and feel you know worse so you know, <laughs> you know oh you're having all those people over without me lean cuisine microwave well, meal for a quite, I'm uh, joking <laughs> but it was all coupled them you know and you suddenly feel like I'm a part of a different club now do you think Sydney is a great place to be in your, when you're in your midlife it is. It's probably too great a place to be, really, in yeah. that it's incredibly easy, easy yeah. and comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to make friends. I've got heaps of friends here. So, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go back to England because yeah. I've got more friends here than I do in England. Yeah. I mean, it's a very expensive city. Don't mm. get me wrong. It's incredibly expensive. And my, my observation but, back this time, becoming a nanny state. And, just, oh, and by the way, the people who are making all these rules are... Our generation, yeah. the midlife people. It's um, like, no, oh, Dan, with that sort of thing. It's incredibly yeah. nanny state. It's really nanny yeah. state. Um, I don't know. But, I don't know whether you can yeah. come back from that. But the weather's beautiful, and <laughs> you know, and it's and there's lots to do. It's a beautiful city, so it's very. It's sort of like a sexy old boyfriend. You know, it's really hard to yeah. give him up. Yeah, you know? I agree. That's, <laughs> that's, how, that's, that's how I look at it, except it's a girlfriend. Um, Jay Matthews, thank you for coming on A Pint with Shawnee B. Your book is launching in America soon. It is. It is on Amazon. So good luck with that. Anybody who is listening to this, the name of the book is Midlife Manifesto, Dream It, Plan It, Live It, a toolkit to plan the rest of your life. The author's name again, Jay Matthews. Jane, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you.